Hey, folks, I'm Tom. KJ here. You know the drill. We are back to promote the Dunlap Champions Club. They've been a longtime sponsor of Front Row Knowles, and uh, we appreciate that. Uh, and you will appreciate the Champions Club if you have not been there. We've been saying this for a couple of years now, basically since it opened. You need to at least schedule a tour. The season's here. Go in, sample it, find out what you're missing. It is a great place to watch a ball game. Florida State uh, is scheduled for a 5 o'clock kick for their first home game, and I know there may even be some more. So if you want to stay out of the heat, you got that opportunity, as well as food and drink, the ability to get up and move around. It's a great place to watch a contest. It's also a great place to watch other contests because they got lots of TVs. And don't tell anybody I said that because really we want you sitting in the seats watching the FSU game. But uh, you can check on the other games too. For more information, you can call 850, you know that, 644-1830 to buy tickets or schedule a tour. And now, on with the show. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back again for your listening pleasure. Or something like that. Anyway. Something like that. Keith, it's Miami week. It is Miami week. And you know what? It's weird. What's weird about it? Well, I, I understand and concede that it really doesn't matter what the records are. It doesn't matter where they are nationally in the polls. That this is a rivalry. These kids grew up with and playing with and against each other. The long history, all the wide rights and the bobbled field goal attempts and everything else that went into it. But I, I have finally reached, I think, the age where I do also acknowledge that maybe the nation isn't as tuned in as they used to be, and I'm I'm falling into that abyss and not <laughs> and not maintaining my intensity as to what this rivalry really means statewide. So does that, that make sense? Sort of. Yep. Sort of. I thought it was interesting that, first of all, that they kept the game at 3.30 because everybody presumed since Miami won and FSU won, it would go to a night game. That may speak to your point that they're rounding out the college day a little bit more. But I had thought a month ago I would have put money on the fact that this would be on the ACC network because Comcast is in South Florida. Comcast is here. But I think they got it. They thought about it and said, "Well, nobody's going to call their cable company to complain to watch this game." <laughs> I can't believe that just came out of your mouth. Well, I, I mean that that might be what it was. Yeah, it could be. Thankfully, could be. Jeff Cameron's coffee mug was empty because I just knocked it over. I know he drinks about nine cups a day, so fortunately, I'm not cleaning up. No, so that was part of. Then the other the other thought that went with that to balance that was. To be fair, there is still national interest if you put Florida State and Miami on in the same way that you and I might tune in because it's USC and UCLA or Oklahoma and Texas, even when they're not having great years. They said, let's just go ahead and put it on the regular network. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, I, you can get into the argument. We don't have time about what the greatest rivalries were versus what the greatest rivalries are right now. But there's no argument that the FSU-Miami rivalry in the grand scheme of things was important enough that people from all over the country would tune in and watch it. Well, and it was for so much – so much was at stake for so many years. But that's then. We don't need to go down that road. We've got two four-and-four four teams right now. And it's a critically important game 
I think more so for Florida State, mainly because it's year one for Manny. And now that said, Canes fans thought Florida was their toughest game. They'd be favored uh, over everybody else and that they were looking at a 10-win season this year. Now they're four and four. I'm not suggesting they want to go four and five, but because it's year one there, whereas it's year two for Taggart and FSU, it feels like it's more important for FSU. See, I disagree because Manny has already been there two or three years. Granted, in a reduced capacity as defensive coordinator now, just this year as head coach, Willie's in his second year of being here, period. I think the pressure's on them because Florida State has has begun to have a little renewed success on the recruiting trail down in South Florida. And basically, that's what this game if – you're if you're not playing for a national championship or you're not playing for a conference championship, you're playing for recruiting rights. Now, you're always playing for recruiting rights. I get that. But sometimes other things will maybe be forefront. But Florida State is continuing to play to get back in that South Florida recruiting hotbed and, and had a little bit of success last year and wants to continue to build upon that. Miami, on the other hand, with Manny, want to protect their turf. That's our that's our property. Leave it alone. Our kid, those kids are coming to our place. I still think when you really peel it back, if you understand the recruiting, you understand the in-state rivalry. This is a this is a huge game, despite the four and four. I agree, and I think it's more than just are you able to recruit South Florida kids. I think it's who's going to be for now second fiddle to Florida who's moved ahead in year two under Dan Mullen because you don't want to be third if you're I mean even if you're third you're still good there's still good players in Florida but if you're third you're further down a lot of out-of-state schools are coming to get them if you're second you're still trending up so I mean I, I think that's that's all at stake certainly plus just the ability for your alumni base to have another good 364 days and of course we'll say the same thing when we get to Florida week but you know there's nothing worse than a Miami fan that beat you last year. Period. The end. Yep. <laughs> well, and it's been two years running. Exactly. Here's the thing, though. Regardless of records, and I know they're both four and four, a lot of similarities, actually, when you look at a Miami doesn't know who its quarterback is. FSU doesn't know who its quarterback is. Neither team is in love with its offensive line. Both teams are having kicking issues. I mean, there's a lot of similarities here. Miami's been better defensively. The Florida State is, is starting to play a little bit better. It really hasn't mattered historically two things. One, the home team has not had a home field edge. Miami's won plenty of times at Doak, and FSU's won plenty of times down there. That It's not skewed the way you think it might be. And two, it really hasn't mattered even in years when there's been a top-five team and an unranked team. It's wound up being a pretty good game. I mean, there's a couple exceptions. In Jameis's year, Florida State ended up blowing them out. But, I mean, in Winky's year – if if memory serves, it was 31-21 was the final. I don't know why I remember that. And that game might have been 21-all before FSU pulled away and won that game. Well, and so Miami, that, and that, Miami won the game before it uh, down there, I think. Yeah, well, not 98, but at some point. But uh, We're mixing up. That Miami started its run of six in a row the next year in 2000 or whatever after that. But anyway, the the point is this this has not been one where if you got one side that's a big favorite, it just goes according to that. And you could say that about all rivalries, but the, rivalries, but this one in particular has had, has been pretty close. Well, and that that is the universal rule. Whoever wrote the book, they will tell you throw right. the records out. You know, it's going to be a tight ball game, come down to a mistake, some big play in the kicking game, you know, a turnover, whatever, whatever, whatever. But this rivalry has more mirrored that general consensus than probably any other that is an very accurate statement yeah it, it feels like it so how are you feeling midweek 
I like our chances. Uh, I like I like the ability if, if and I think he will be if Hornerbrook is named the starter again. Uh, he's he's undefeated as a starter. I, I like that. I think our defense. I don't think he's going to be named the starter. He'll just show up and be the starter. However you want to phrase it, <laughs> Coach Taggart. QB one, QB two, QB three. I'm just I don't saying, care. I think when the media asks him that on Thursday, he'll say you'll find out Saturday. I, I believe you are correct. <laughs> I like the way our defense is trending. You and I talked about that in our first first look show. Uh, five of the first six possessions that Syracuse had ended in a punt, and there were three three and outs. Um, I think that the defense understands that that Miami is Miami. I like the fact that we were up by 20 points last year and it got away from us because that ought to stick in somebody's crawl real bad. I know it does mine, and I'm not playing. And uh, I think you just heard from Coach Taggart's comments, which which I, I didn't find surprising. I found surprising that he would say it, but here's a guy that didn't play at Florida State, didn't play at Miami, went to Western Kentucky, but but grew up watching this rivalry and knowing kids from his area and the Bradenton-Tampa area that went and obviously uh, seeing what happened. And, and he didn't like Miami, and, and he didn't go to Florida State. Uh, that, that, I enjoyed that. I like that comment. You know, you know, you always want to beat Miami. It doesn't matter who you are. Well, he certainly – I mean, he grew up on Florida State despite the facts that, that you just pointed out there. Um, he needs to get a win over Miami though I mean one thing there's you know, one, th- we, one we can fault Jimbo for a lot of things. I was just gonna say we know the way it ended with Jimbo but until his last year I mean he owned uh well I guess he lost to Florida once earlier in 2012 but he wound up going seven and one against both them as head coach and that as coach Bowden will tell you in 1976 when he took the job he understands that it's most important to win the state championship before you start worrying about anything else we will not continue to walk down memory lane, which you and I could could do on this, although we don't really remember the details anymore because we're getting too old. That's right? the problem. That's the problem, yeah. So instead, we'll look ahead. I do remember Cam Akers seemed to have a pretty good game last week against Syracuse. We're going to get our Osceola insider Patrick Burnham online. We'll talk about how Florida State might continue to utilize what, uh, what Taggart calls QB3. I think we all agree that the wild cam is a much better name for that. But whatever you call it, how might that evolve this week? Given it's not that the mo- cam cat, we can call it the keep and call it. If you do what Cam does, whatever he tells us to call it is what we Th- should. This call is it. true. This is true. Anyway, I- I'll tell you, and and I don't think we can add a lot to this, and and we won't be there. Well, you, maybe you will. Are you a Harry Potter guy? No. Yeah, I didn't think we could add a lot to this, but the uh, the Muggle Shuffle Harry Potter Bar Crawl is coming up November 9th. The what? The who? Yes, exactly. Twenty five bucks. Shirt, three drinks, one at Madsos and Trolley and Township. What are they calling it? The Muggle Shuffle. Do you want to do this one and I'll do no, the other? No, okay. no, All right, we'll get our Osceola Insider on the line after this, and uh, we're done with the Harry Potter talk. We'll talk more uh, Knowles and Canes right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Half your life you struggle. 
Well, that music can only mean one thing, Keith. Burning Man. I have no idea who it is, but Patrick <laughs> Burnham's on the line. Apparently, that's Dirk Bentley. Our Osceola Insider, uh, Patrick Burnham, joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, and sharing your future together. How are you, Pat? I'm doing great, guys. How about y'all? Good. Thanks for taking my request. Yeah, yeah. Well, we do what we can. We do what we can. Uh, so what do you think? You've been around this FSU-Miami thing for a while. Is it uh, Four and four is a little different than what we grew up on, perhaps, but it still feels like there's an awful lot at stake this week. Yeah, I think it's uh, you know it's a big game regardless of what the records are. As we all know, it's one of the you know I mean obviously FSU's second biggest rival in my opinion, other than Florida. And there's always a lot rides on it. Whether it's a season where they're both having some inconsistencies at four and four, it's going to be big on the recruiting trail. And then, uh, as we all know, both coaches have taken some heat for the inconsistencies of their football team. So I think it's big for both coaches as well. So uh, and obviously you've got bowl implications. Yeah, just a little bit, I would say so. So you commented in the break, and I mentioned it earlier, and I think historically it's been this way too. There's To me, there's always been a lot of similarities and parallels between FSU and Miami, more so maybe than FSU and Florida. But this year in particular, you've got quarterback questions, kicking woes, offensive line issues, both teams. I mean, it, it's almost mirror images. I, I guess you would say that defensively Miami's been better than FSU, and on paper that's the big difference between these two teams. Yeah, I mean – uh, Miami has one of the best defenses in the nation. They rank 15th in total defense uh, versus all opponents. And, uh, you know, they're a little bit not quite that good uh, against FBS, but still 23rd in the nation against just their FBS opponents. Uh, you know, if they had a weakness on defense, it would be their pass defense. They are similar to Florida State, and they're very strong up front, a little bit weaker in back. Uh, Miami is giving up uh, – 194 yards per game against all its opponents, which is 32nd in total uh, pass defense, but it's 47th if you factor out Bethune Cookman's game. So, still pretty good, but, uh, you know, both teams have the same weakness on defense. Both have the same weakness on offense, and, you know, both have played two quarterbacks and are kind of taking it week by week as to who starts there. And uh, Manny Diaz said yesterday uh, that they have a plan for what they're doing at quarterback. They're just not going to say anything until game day. I'm sorry, did you say that was Miami, or is that Willie Taggart again in my left ear? Um, well, I believe that basically uh, Coach Taggart indicated the same thing yesterday. Exactly, that, uh, exactly. You know, that they were going to let it play out over the course of the week. Uh, I kind of have a feeling they both already know who gives them the best chance to win, and uh, I think it'll be Jared Williams for Miami, and I think it'll be Alex Hornibrook for Florida State. And I, and I also agree with you. Well, Pat, if you've got two clubs that are mirror, almost mirror images of each other, in a rivalry game, what what's the one thing Miami's got to do to win, and what's the one thing Florida State's got to do to win, and are they the same thing? Well, uh, you know, I've got a couple of key, a couple of keys. I think uh, one, I think with two offenses that struggle to run the ball against good defensive run defenses, you know, I think field position is going to be key. Who has you know, we may look at the at the average starting field position as being one of the biggest indicators of who wins this game. Uh, and obviously, I think the other thing would be chunk plays. They both have the ability to make chunk plays. Florida State, uh, 12th in the nation, uh, with 126 plays over 10 yards. Uh, you know, without being able to run the ball consistently, which neither team has been able to do up until late. Florida State certainly has the last two weeks, but I think there's going to be some chunk plays in the running game and obviously still position. And I think also, uh, with the consistency or the, 
unsteadiness at quarterback. Whoever has the best game uh, at quarterback, whether it's Courtney Brook, Williams, Perry, or Blackman, whoever it turns out to be, maybe Cam Akers. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I think that all three of those things will be key in the game. Rather than debate Hornerbrook versus Blackman, let's talk about the Cam Akers factor. Because when you look at what he did last week, there's there's two schools of thought on this, I think, Patrick, and I'm interested in your your insight on this. On the one hand, why not on the one hand, by by showing your hand and all the plays that Cam Akers ran last week, you forced my you've made Miami aware, but you forced him to spend a lot of time practicing against it this week. Uh, the the other side would say, why not just keep that in the bag of tricks and open that bag this week against Miami? So so part one is what what's your thought on on the approach? Well, uh, I think number one, uh, you know, I think it was a good idea to go ahead and use it against Syracuse. You needed your offense to have some success bringing out something new like that. Uh, you know, Miami's a very good defense. Uh, if you come out and run that and it has no success against Miami, it's going to create another doubt in your team's mind as you play those kind of opponents. Uh, so you build up a little bit of confidence in that, in that team, in that personnel, with that formation. And obviously what it also allows you to do, since you know it can be successful, you, uh, it allows you to build off of that package, which Kendall indicated today that they would do. So uh, I agree for multiple reasons that they brought it out at the right time. Uh, you know, you don't want to, with the pressure that's uh, on this season for Florida State, I don't think you want to roll it out against Miami and it be ineffective and then it creates more questions and, and problems than it does anything else. But, Pat, conversely, wouldn't that set up an opportunity for Miami to put a few new wrinkles in since Florida State has shown them and, and maybe even prompt them to use them in a setting where maybe they wouldn't consider them just because they, you know, I'll show you how to do this. Yeah, I mean, certainly they're going to make some adjustments to that and how they defend it uh, now that they've seen it. And, of course, you know, it's, it'll turn into a chess match. Uh, you know, I'm sure that there's some things that uh, FSU coach, offensive coaches know they'll do to try to contain that, and then obviously you, you make your adjustments off that. But certainly it does allow Miami's defensive coordinator and Manny Diaz to come up with you know something special against that pack. Here's your crazy idea of the week, uh, and you can tell me I'm crazy, but when Cam was in there running the QB3, they'd take Hornerbrook and put him wide. I say put him wide to your side, and every now and then stick a receiver in and bring Hornerbrook off and, and go true Cam at quarterback. What do you think? I think, you know, I was thinking about the same thing, uh, not necessarily what you were saying, but, you know, hey, you're not going to throw the ball to him. Figure out a way to get him off the field. You're still going to do what you do. Uh, you know, get another athlete on the field. I don't think you're going to throw the ball very much to Hornybrook. So I agree with you. Uh, if you're going to do it, I'm not sure that you're going to catch him by surprise anymore. So go ahead and throw another receiver out there. Let me ask you this. We saw Cam, obviously he has an arm. Lots of talk about how strong an arm he has. He was a high school quarterback. But last week he threw one ball that clearly should have been picked. And I think we could all say he probably shouldn't have thrown that ball back to Hornerbrook on the, on the triple pass play. <laughs> yeah. So, so my, that was, yeah, that, that was, I mean, we don't have to relive that one. That was a, a trick play gone bad that went really well, as it turned out. Uh, my question though is if you're going to, if Miami is prepared for just the read option and what they saw last week and you want to try to evolve this into something else, 
what kind of passes are you really going to let him throw? Are these all deep shots that are one-on-one where there's no reading or dissecting anything Miami's doing? Or, or what does the, the 2.0 version of Wild Cam or QB3 look like? Well, I think you probably create some half-field throws to him, roll him to one side, let him reach uh, you know, to the safety or the corner and make his, up his mind, make it very simple for him. I don't think you can ask him to drop back and read the whole field. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, you know, uh, Kendall mentioned today that the offense really doesn't have a whole lot of limitations with Cam there. He knows the offense and can make a lot of throws, but at the same time, he has not been practicing for the last three years at quarterback, and there's quarterbacks that struggle week in and week out that take every snap there, every practice. So I think you would have to simplify it. Yeah, you'll probably take some deep shots with him. That's what that offense does if you're going to ask him to drop back. But I think if you're asking him to, you know, read two guys, or uh, but I think you would have him read half the field and roll them out to the right or to the left and, uh, you know, kind of give him some options whether to run it or throw it. What's your thoughts on the offensive line with the change in personnel and the change in side of the field for Dante Lucas, I guess? Uh, you know, I think uh, they probably felt like uh, Minshew was probably a little bit more comfortable at right guard. I believe that's where he's played the vast majority of his career. Uh, and they probably felt like it, Dante helped strengthen the left side of that offensive line. Plus, you've got him playing with a another true freshman, Darius Washington, and building some chemistry there for the future. And Darius looks pretty good. And, of course, you know, I was very impressed with Andrew Baselli's performance. Uh, he seems to be uh, understand that offense, understand kind of the nuances of where he's supposed to be. His footwork uh, seems to be he did. I thought he was impressive uh, as a pass blocker, uh, as impressive as they've been at that position this year, pass blocking. And, uh, you know, Kendall mentioned that Darius had shown huge improvements at left tackle from Wake Forest to uh, Syracuse. And, not, you know, he certainly, uh, we, we were talking about that last night on our podcast, he does some things naturally. He's a short stepper. He does not overextend in pass protection, and he's got the ability to move really well. So I've been impressed with the changes, and obviously it's paid off. They've rushed for over 410 yards the last two ball games, but we'll get a better idea of exactly how far they've progressed when they go get this Miami team. But do you think they got better at those three positions? I, I'm talking center. I do. Yeah. I do. I Listen, uh, nothing against any of the other kids that have played there, but I thought the Sully, uh gave them a better performance at center in the game and a half that he's played. Uh, you know, uh, he's, he's a tough kid. He knows exactly, he understands the offense. And then, you know, I thought Washington uh, looked, better in pass protection than any of the kids they've started at left tackle this year. Uh, he's still got some lear- uh, learning to do, and, and he'll make improvements. Obviously, he's just a true freshman, but yes, I certainly think they're better. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't, I'm not a guy that believes in a lot of coincidence does happen, but the improvement has come with the infusion of those three guys in the lineup on a regular basis the last two weeks. All right, Pat, if this thing comes down to a kick, can we ask the officials to let us just have an arm wrestle or something? Well, I'm all for Ken picking the two goals. <laughs> he's, done, he's done everything else. But you mentioned it. Uh, I just happened to look this up earlier today. If it comes down to a kick, Miami is actually FSU's four of nine on field goals this year, but they are perfect inside 39 yards. Uh, Miami is seven of 14, but only four of 10 from inside 39 yards. So, uh, Maybe for once in the history of the rivalry, FSU gets a break in a kicking game. 
You could tell me that FSU is infinity for infinity, and I don't want the game coming down to a kick. I'm just going to say. Hey, do they allow the drop kick in the college football? I, I, if you were to ask me to test, I think the answer to the test question is yes, it's still a legal play. Well, maybe Cam can do that. He can do everything else. He can be, the, our, he can be our version of Doug Flutie. <laughs> Why not? Let's give it a try. Hey, what's the difference in quarterbacks uh, for Miami? You, you said you thought we'd see Williams, I think. Uh, he's a lot more efficient with the ball. He's completed 69% of his passes versus 56 for Perry. Uh, both of them have thrown for eight touchdowns. Williams has thrown for one more interception. And, you know, of course, Williams had to start against Florida where he got sacked 10 times. But I think he is going to be – uh, you know, one time they had to offer him the future quarterback for the next four years, and of course, then they he struggled against Virginia, and they put Perry in. I believe it was against Virginia, but I just think he's the long term solution. I think he's more efficient, and I think that's why he'll start. So, how do you see this playing out, Pat? Oh Lord, uh, very defensive ball game. Uh, I could see anywhere from thirteen to ten to nineteen to sixteen. I think we've had a nineteen to sixteen in the series before, but. Uh, I think the highest. I think the high score would be around three. Their team would be around twenty-one points. I think it's going to be a defensive struggle. If you like defensive football, I think you're going to enjoy Saturday afternoon. Is it defensive football or bad offensive football? Well, yeah, I'm going to yes, remain positive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good defensive football, but. There's, there's, a, there's a two sides to every coin, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. And and good guys come out on top because it's a 38-yard field goal attempt to win it? That's right. I'll go with that. 38 is a good number for Florida State. We've won a buckets with that. And uh, you got to – because this is All-American kicker that wore 38. So 38 uh, always been a good number for Florida State. All right. Pat you, Burner, you heard it right here. Appreciate the insight as always, sir. Guys, thanks for having me and have a great day. All right. Thanks, he is Pat. our Osceola insider, Patrick Burnham. You can uh, find his work online at theosceola.com. Seven-day free trial or subscribe for six ninety-five monthly or seventy-four ninety-five annually. Jerry Kutz, Patrick Burnham, Bob Ferrante, they're all doing a great job covering Florida State athletics. Jerry, Jerry probably goes back even further on Miami FSU than you do, huh? No, I was I, I, I go a little bit before him, but not by much. Not okay. by much. I'm talking when he came to school, though. All right, we'll give him that. But, I, it, but when he started yeah, the Osceola, correct. it be different. Okay. Correct. Yes, when he started school, he would have a longer history than me. That is correct. Gotcha. All right, we'll step aside. We're going to turn things the, the other way, and we'll get the Canes perspective with our good friend Joe Zagacki, the voice of the Canes, longtime voice of the Canes. He joins us next on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ, we do this every year. I think we've done it about every year, and that is uh, we welcome the longtime voice of the Miami Hurricanes, Joe Zagacki, to the airwaves. Joe, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. Keith, Tom, how are you guys? We're, we're doing well. We're doing we're well. We're not doing great, but we're doing well. 
Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, and and I, you. I know how you feel. Yeah. Yeah. We're in the same. I, you know, that's that's a that's a good starting point, Joe. Because I've commented, and you know the 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 history of these two rivals. It feels like there's historically there's just been a lot of parallels. And this year, I mean, neither of us wants to be four and four. Both of us wish we knew which our starting quarterback was and had a better kicking situation and better O line. But but here we are again, and there's just a lot of similarities. You know, it's been that way since really like 1980, right? Uh, when Coach Bowden and Coach Nellenberger uh, both really got into a groove. And I think the programs pretty much, as you said, have paralleled each other. Now, every now and then maybe uh, Miami pulled ahead with a better team or Florida State for a couple of years. But you take the, the big picture, and they always seem to be pretty much a mirror of each other as they are this year at Ford and Ford. And I think really my – my uh, uh, perception of what's gone on with both Miami and Florida State is pretty simple. I think if you roll the teams out there that we have today, and people love to live in the past. Seminole fans want to look back at their championships. Miami wants to go back to 2001. You can't compare the teams because um, both Miami and Florida State, I think, have been plagued with playing with stripped-down rosters, always battling attrition. Uh, whether it's injuries, guys going to the NFL early, and now you get the combination of leaving early and also uh, transfer portal. So I, I think that's an uphill battle for both programs. And, and I think, Joe, you're on to something because once you start recruiting those elite athletes, they don't want to sit for a year or two or redshirt and sit for two years like they did back in the day. They want to play immediately. And if they're not going to play immediately – then they're going to transfer, and if they do play immediately and they have any success, after three years they're gone because they're that good. That's just the nature of the beast these days. Yeah. They, what happens is here, oh, so-and-so went to the NFL, and he, look how well he's playing in the NFL, and they didn't develop him in Miami. Well, no, they did. He was only here, though, for three years, and we never saw Player X, the best version of Player X. And... uh that's the pickle they're in right now. Do you become a developmental program and try to recruit guys that want to play for your team, will stay here for four or five years, or do you think you're a win-now program, try to fight it out with the elite players, fight it out with Clemson and Alabama who are on top right now in Georgia, and see if you can keep a roster together? And uh, the answer for Miami really is uh, being an elite program, win-now might not be uh the best answer for them they're trying to get there but um i think developing players is going to be important and i think that's why uh coach diaz has tried to try to register a lot of players this season what's the story as long as we're on on this side of the conversation who's the linebacker that's uh that, that's basically going to take a red shirt has played four games this yeah, year? Was zach that, mcleod was that his choice uh, he wants to... a, he's a he's a senior uh but he's going to red shirt He's played four games. He played last week against Pittsburgh. I think McLeod might have the best upside of the three linebackers that came in, Quarterman and Pickney and McLeod. All three came in at the same time. Uh, now, like a lot of other schools, other programs, Miami has kind of gone to a, a striker position, which is a combination safety-slash-linebacker, and that's not McLeod. That's Romeo Finley. So McLeod has not played a lot of inside linebacker with Quarterman and Pickney, Miami's not playing with a real true outside linebacker. So McLeod has said, hey, I want a red shirt. I'll come back and play 
middle linebacker next year. That's what he's going to do. I think that's going to be great for Miami. He's going to give them someone to build their defense around. He's going to give them a mature player, a leader. I think it's going to help him in the NFL. So we're not going to see McLeod this week, right? You're not pulling any surprises. I don't believe you'll see McLeod, no. I, I, hopefully he played his last game last week against Pittsburgh. Yeah, the, the, the Miami defense has been really, really good this year. I, I know just looking at the linebackers, obviously they all started together starting in 2016, I guess. But what impresses you about the defense as you, as you see the games every week? Well, I, I still think that getting pressure on the quarterback and negative plays is the way they have to play. And I think that's been the most impressive thing. Now, the last three weeks uh, against Virginia, Georgia Tech, and Pittsburgh, they've done a much better job in the red zone. Going into the, uh, into the Virginia game, they were like 95th in red zone defense. Uh, Virginia Tech was in the red zone six times and scored six touchdowns, and that wasn't Miami defense. And earlier in the year, they had a chance to put North Carolina away. Fourth down and 17, the game is over. Fourth and 17, they gave up a completion. Then they gave up a touchdown. That was not Miami defense. Most impressive has been their resolve the last three weeks. Last week, keeping Pittsburgh out of the end zone. And Greg Rousseau has made a huge difference uh, tracking down the quarterback. It's interesting. Everybody thought it was going to be Garvin. And uh, you know, Garvin falls into the category maybe of one of, of, one of those players we talked about. Junior, is he going to go to the NFL? Everybody's talking about him going to the NFL. He's got one stack. Greg Rousseau had three in, in one game last week. So Garvin can't come out and say, hey, uh, the other side, they were, they were uh, doubling me because no one was on the other side. The NFL is going to look at Garvin and say, you need to either find a way or make a way, which he's not been able to do. But Rousseau has been really good. Quarterman has been really good. And I think uh, the pass defense is starting to get a little bit better. Joe, Florida State, obviously with Akers, has uh, kind of refound or rediscovered their running game the last two ball games. Uh, one of the things that I always dreaded about Miami, whether I was a player or a broadcaster or just a fan, is the running attack from Miami. But, but that has struggled a little bit. Tell us about your backs and what Florida State can look for, Florida State fans should look for come Saturday in the running game from the Hurricanes. Yeah, the reason Miami has struggled in the running game is, uh, one, I don't think, that they have the, I think they've got good backs. I love DJ Dallas. I think he's everything any college football player should be. I think Miami's very lucky to have him. Same with Cameron Harris. I just would not put those guys in the category of electrifying. They're not Willis McGahee. They're not Frank Gore. They're a little bit below that. They run hard. They play hard. They smile every day. They give you everything they have. Uh, DJ Dallas has even given Miami 50-yard runs, which I didn't really think was going to be in his repertoire this year. But I just don't think that they have that blazing speed that uh, if they make you miss one, make, make, miss one, make one guy miss or two guys miss, they're going to be in the end zone. Now, Dallas can do it. He has shown it. Uh, but I just think they're a little bit below those elite players. And then you combine that with an offensive line that is very young, playing with two freshmen, a freshman left tackle, and a freshman right guard. Very, it's very hard for Miami to slug it out play-by-play play for 80 yards down the field, and therefore their running game has uh, struggled a little bit. Uh, throw in there against uh, Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. They were trailing in those games. Tough to run when you're behind. So it's been a little bit of a combination of everything. 
I think they, they need to have run attempts in this game. They cannot make it uh, just a drop-back game. They've got to go forward. They've got to get one yard, two yards, three yards. They've got to have run attempts, and if it's a one-yard gain, celebrate it because that will be a positive for Miami. What should we expect at quarterback, Joe? Well, that's a good question, Tom. Uh, I don't know. We're going to see. It's been uh, now, come on, a little it's, up and down. It's, it's just us. And, uh, it's, last, it's, it's just us talking, Joe. Tell us who you have running uh, in your in your spotting charts. Who's your QB? Who, who do you have in pen and who do you have in pencil? <laughs> it, it's funny you say that because I'm looking right at it, and I have two spots for quarterback, and you know what they are? Blank. <laughs> blank and blank. Oh, so you got a copy of my so, spotting chart. <laughs> I, I, I said at the beginning of the year, our quarterback was Mr. Maybe. It's maybe Nicosi, it's maybe Jaron. So going into this game right now, our quarterback uh, is Mr. Maybe. And uh, Jaron Williams came off the bench the other day and probably threw the ball as well as, as well as he has thrown it in three weeks. He was decisive, he threw it with authority, and he was on target. And I said going into the Pittsburgh game, the theme was going to be good passes equal touchdowns. And we got a good pass at the end of the game that equaled a touchdown. Going into this game with Florida State, I think we need to see some great leadership. Uh, they, had to, they went through practice today. They'll go tomorrow, and we'll see what happens. Perry gives you the elusiveness, a guy that can run, a guy that can save your bacon on third down. Jaron is a more accurate thrower. Going back bigger picture to where we started this conversation, Joe, and another commonality between these programs, you know, we talked about them mirroring each other, is, is, is how many folks have been on both sides of the rivalry, like a Mark Richt, who, of course, uh, you know, played at Miami, coached here, then coached there. But, I mean, even Ron Frazier, who went to FSU, but legendary baseball coach at Miami. Ron Dugans was on Miami's staff last year. He's on FSU's staff now. Manny Diaz is in that boat, too, because he went to FSU and actually got into coaching thanks to his, uh, I guess it was Chuck Amato and, and, and Mickey Andrews. He was a gradu- graduate assistant with them. Uh, so I'm curious, in, in light of the fact that you know he had to come out after the Georgia Tech game and, and declare it a, a rebuilding project, and, and correct me if that wasn't his exact quote, uh, you know, I know he was received very well initially. Sitting at 4-4, four and four, how is it with Manny right now? Well, four and four in Miami is uh, uh, not, you know, to a large extent, uh, to a large part of the fan base is is not where they thought they were going to be. And uh, he walked the rebuild comment back uh, a little bit. Now, I would have stood shoulder to shoulder with him on that all the way. I do think they need somewhat of a rebuild. You can't tell me that you're an elite program when one of your backup linebackers is a walk-on. It's hard to be an elite program, again, when you're still playing Russian roulette quarterback, right? And uh, trying to sort that out. And, and part of that uh, process at quarterback not only is uh, what are the guys doing on the field and in practice, but are they maturing and understanding what it means to be quarterback at the University of Miami? Probably similar to Florida State. Uh, you guys know that um, if you were the quarterback, in uh, Tallahassee, you probably were the quarterback maybe for a year or two. But uh, when Charlie Ward was the quarterback, he knew what it meant. He followed the line, in line with other uh, very good Florida State quarterbacks. He knew that he was the big man on campus. In Miami, 
if you are the quarterback of the University of Miami, you get treated like you're playing for the Miami Dolphins. And therefore, you got to act that way. And I think that's been uh, some of the sorting out and maybe his rebuilding comment uh, was a little bit uh, generated in that direction, too, in terms of rebuilding confidence and uh, maturity and all that stuff. But uh, Manny Diaz uh, had people very, very excited. Not to say that they're not excited now. I think uh, they are. I think he is the right man for the job and will do a good job. I think he's a remarkable story. But I know this. He doesn't have a magic wand. And Miami's had to replace some good players with young players. They still have not replaced Amon Richards at wide receiver, uh, who's been out, you know, his career is uh, cut short. Uh, he doesn't have a magic wand to find an elite player like that. The best receiver is K.J. Osborne. He's a transfer in from Buffalo. So I think he's going to do a good job. The, the fan base is a little restless, but they're just going to have to have patience. How, how much of the defensive resurgence was due to Manny uh, getting more hands-on with that unit? You know, I would say I would I would say probably a lot, and um, you know Blake Baker. I think in the defensive staff, I think they're very good, but maybe maybe the the word the communication wasn't uh, hitting with all the players, including uh, some of the veteran players. And I, I always wonder about this. And uh, you guys saw it with, with Jimbo, Jimbo Fisher was an offensive coordinator, became a head coach. We didn't stop calling plays. And, and I don't know why there's always that argument. Last year, it was baffling to me. Coach Rick is calling the plays, and the avalanche of negativity was, he can't do both. It's too big a job. He can't call plays and be the offensive, or, and be the head coach. This year, it was the opposite. Oh, Manny Diaz is the head coach, but he's got to call the plays on defense. So which, which one is it? Which one do you want? And uh, my, my opinion of that always has been, if a guy is an expert on one side of the ball, he should stay with it. He shouldn't give it up. Uh, so Manny Diaz is back. He's involved. I don't think he's calling it down to down. I do think he had an influence uh, during the course of the game on which direction they were going in terms of pressure, more pressure, less pressure, whatever. I think his voice is probably being heard more right now in practice and in the meetings. Joe, I don't know if that there is as many uh, top-notch athletes and great football players on these two programs, given where they're at, but I know there are some, and I think that's one of the things that also excites me about this game is whether it's a punt return or a kickoff return or an intercepted pass or, or a, a, a sack and scoop, uh, th- there are some playmakers out there, and this game kind of brings out the playmaker in kids. There might not be as many, but there's still quite a bit of talent on both sides of the ball. Uh, no question. And for Miami, uh, the guy to keep an eye on would be 15, Greg Rousseau, who is six foot six, 260 pounds, and just uh, – creates all kinds of havoc. Uh, he, he only has to be in the area code of Tallahassee to knock the ball free from the quarterback. Uh, I mean, he's got such a reach that quarterbacks, I think, are fooled because they can see him, and he might be, you know, uh, not right in that box, but all of a sudden he's poking the ball out. He's got a strip sack. So he's a guy to keep an eye on. Obviously, quarterman for Miami. Amari uh, Carter at safety is a great athlete. And a big hitter, uh, DJ Ivy. Maybe he's going to emerge. Last week he had two interceptions. The week before, uh, the alarm bell didn't go off. He kind of fell asleep, but he's a really 
really good athlete. Garb is a great athlete for Miami. Offensively, Brevin Jordan at tight end. Uh, along the line, a long line of Miami tight ends. Uh, he can catch it. He can run it pretty good. Jeff Thomas does have elite speed. His problem has been staying on the field. He was suspended for two games. Mark Pope uh, is from uh, Southridge High School, a five-star receiver, great speed. His problem has been confidence. But at any time, all those guys I just mentioned could make the difference in a game. Sorry I asked the question. <laughs> that, 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 that was more names than you wanted to hear. Exactly. Slow yeah. down there, Joe. Slow down. Wait a minute now. Don't go crying poor with Florida State. I'm looking there. I'm looking at your guys. And uh, who the hell gets 17 tackles in one game? Yeah. Well, but that was at the third level, Joe. I mean, come on now. Yeah. Don't, don't don't pay any attention to ha- don't pay any attention uh, to Hams. Don't worry about it. You know him. he's sneaking down now. He's down. He's sneaking down through that in that chicken coop. He's down there, down low, hey, making plays. So uh, you've got. Asante Samuel out there and Stanford Samuels and Janarius uh, uh, Robinson. Could you make it that he doesn't show up for the game? Because he's kind of frightening to me. Well, I mean, if we're going to go this street, you got to throw Marvin Wilson into that conversation with Cam Akers, too. And, and Tamari and Terry Holy offense. Mackerel. Yeah. Yeah, Marvin is huge, isn't he? Yeah, he's well. It's the honey fried chicken up here. I mean, that's what got him here. Yeah, and and that's boy, oh boy, that's the excuse Keith and I use too. Yeah, you, you've not seen us in a year either. <laughs> hey, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about the important stuff, Joe. Have uh, people in South Florida are they still calling Comcast, or are we all just resigned to the fact that it's just never going to happen? Um. Yeah, I don't know. Is the, is the ACC network uh, uh, available in Tallahassee? Not, not on Comcast. Not on Comcast, which is yeah, the predominant. I don't know if it's the, yeah. it, it's the predominant carrier I'm not here. Sure. Yeah, I do know this. If you want to put me, get me uh, on a soapbox, I do know this that uh, this could be right in your guys' wheelhouse. And of course, I see this in orange and green. So someone Miami lost to Georgia Tech, and that's on Miami. But someone still has to explain to me how the game ended on a measurement after a review. It ended on a measurement after a review. And I said that would be like Coach K losing on a traveling violation at Cameron Indoor Stadium on an instant replay. It should not happen. Miami played North Carolina. Carolina had zero penalties in Chapel Hill. So uh, one of the ways Miami lost that game is Carolina didn't help Miami at all. They had zero penalties. That's pretty hard to do. You're well, pretty, well, pretty hard to do. My my partner here has um, Joe has uh, eloquently uh, put into words what needs to happen regarding the officiating in the ACC. We need to adopt uh, get we, new ones. Well, we need to adopt what is perceived to be, though they will not discuss it and verify. But we need to perceive it uh, to to get what is perceived to be in the ACC. When in doubt, throw the flag. In the SEC, when in doubt, swallow the whistle and the flag and let them play. That's the message Mr. Block would uh, extend to all of the officials. Let's do it the SEC way. I would agree with Tom uh, a thousand percent. I I watched your Florida, your game against Virginia to prepare for Virginia, and there were like 19 penalties. The games are unwatchable. Uh, they stop every two minutes. They are unwatchable because they uh, there's a flag on every other play and or a review. And I might add, I thought the rule of being able to review every play if necessary 
was good. I'm going to go the other way now and say maybe they should have the NFL role where the only time you can stop it is on a coach's challenge because it is, it's getting stopped all the time. And um, I just think it really affects the flow of the game. And um, sometimes you, you just wonder how they come up with the calls they, they come up with from Greensboro. And it's not, if it's not what Tom says, then they shouldn't have conference officials throughout the country because too many of them are from the footprint of the Carolinas. Joe, I think since we have found common ground, we should slide prob- over. We should slide over. I'm mounting that. I'm getting on that soapbox. <laughs> yeah. We should probably stop here. No, I'm in agreement on that. I, I think the technology is, and we don't have time to get into this, but the technology has advanced so much and it's really hurt. It, it is completely ruining the game experience. I, I agree 100%. You don't need to be looking at a review to determine was it a three-yard gain or a three-and-a-half-yard gain. Uh, I mean, there's got to be a better way to do it. So, uh, all that said, I hope the call goes against you on Saturday, Joe. Yeah, now I know your feet. <laughs> Other than that, we love you. We do. We really, really do. <laughs> all right, well, we can be friends uh, 364 days of the year. All right, sounds good. Hey, we, we do appreciate it, Joe. You've been at it a while. Do a great job. The voice of the Canes, Joe Zagacki. Thank you, Joe. All right, fellas, thank you. All right, he is a good guy. I, I grew up in South Florida. He's been affiliated with uh, with the Canes for, for a long, long time, back when Sonny Hirsch was calling the games uh, for the University of Miami way back when. All right, we'll step aside, come back, and react to some of that and finish things up on uh, Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back, Front Row Knowles. KJ, would you like to react to anything Joe said? I'd like to do a little business first. Do some business, then we can react. <laughs> if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, well, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener to get all your power tool needs. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. You can reach them by phone at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu. Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Some of those names that he mentioned. So I think it, I think it'll probably be William Starting who closed out the game last week at quarterback. Well, if you, if you go by... What happened last week, it should be Williams and it should be Hornerbrook because right. both teams had some success. DJ Dallas has been hurt, but I know they, they expect to have him back. Jeff Thomas was suspended. They said he's got to earn his way back. You can be guaranteed that Jeff Thomas will be a factor in this game this week. Michael Pinckney is back at linebacker. Uh, he was That was who Zach McLeod played his fourth game for last week, I think. So By the way, I have a problem with that. Nobody asked me, but I'll volunteer that. Since when does a player tell me as a coach what he's going to do? Well, that's football today. Well, that's why I'm not coaching, evidently. (laughs) Well, I don't know that he went in and told him that. I mean, I'm not going to take up for him necessarily, but I think it was, hey, if I'm the third guy out, I'd consider sitting out this year and I could play the games next year. And Manny looked at it and said, well, we'd get a lot more snaps out of you that way, so why don't we do that? Well, I don't know what kind of student he is, but I think what you're going to find is – I'd like to redshirt, and then I'm going to graduate, and then I'm going to transfer. Well, I mean, it is what it is nowadays, Keith. I am unfortunately 
learning of that reality that that transfer thing that that plays in across the board i mean because it's one thing to say a coach needs to bench that kid and that's another thing when you bench him and a week later he's in the transfer portal and he's gone somewhere else so it is a fine line to say the coach has the hammer because he controls playing time the players control what school they're at and that that much to your chagrin is where we're at right now unfortunately regrettably and see all the above yes uh so anyway we're gonna play fsu in miami this week I like our chances. Four and four I, I versus like our four chances. Four. You do. I, I like the fact that we were sitting there in, in Joe Robbie or whatever they call that place these days. Last year. Seminole Hard Rock. Well, Joe Robbie. We were up by 20 points, and I'm going, wow, we, we're, 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 we're there. We're this close. And then to have it unravel, and every time I think about that, as ornery and as aggravated and as annoyed as I get, there's got to be – 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 of those kids that were on that field last year, they're getting similarly aggravated, annoyed, fill in the blank. And I I just think if Florida State doesn't come out and play with more intensity and more enthusiasm in any game they've played in, then then I'm going to be unbelievably disappointed. Oh, I think – but they've, they've not shown that they're going to – pack it in this year i mean i think they fought i don't think that's a question i think you look at that miami game and unfortunately you hate to see the the lead disappear certainly but it's it's the way it's been the last couple years you're in a lot of games that come down to any number of plays we all look back at the the dj matthews pass that was ruled you know a second forward pass but there were you know there were deandre's turnovers there's other plays in there there's all the pass interference that kyle myers racked up last year you know you can point to 20 plays and if you make one of them you maybe still win that game, and that's where we were with Wake Forest two weeks ago. The The thing is, Miami's in the same boat. I mean, that's why Joe's pointing out the officiating. I, I've said it before. The only time you complain about officiating is when you're in close games. When or playing. when you've lost close games. Yeah. You, but, don't, you don't even complain about it in close well, games I, if you win. At the time you do, but then the, the complaint softens right, after right. you look at the scoreboard. All right, I think we're out of time. I will see you on uh, Saturday. Yes, you will. Another chapter of FSU in Miami, and we'll, re- we'll relive it, recap it with our Front Knowles First Look show that airs Sunday morning at 9. And then we'll be back here next Wednesday. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. So long.